Christine, welcome to Mrs. G's Storytime. We are reading the book Fanny's Memories of 80 Years, and it is by Fanny Crosby, and there is no copyright on it. And we are on Chapter 13, A Lesson in Self-Reliance. There is still another man, famous in the annuals of our nation, whom I am proud to count among my friends. And now, while I write of him, the tide of memory turns again, bearing me backwards more than 50 years on the tranquil bosom and recalling a lesson in self-reliance that he taught me. One morning in 1853, the late Mr. William Cleveland, our principal teacher, came to my classroom and said, I have a favor to ask of you. My brother, as you know, has been appointed secretary to the superintendent, but the death of our father grieves him very much. And when you are at leisure, I wish you would speak to him and try to divert his mind from sad thoughts. You can comfort him better than I can, and I promised to do my best. That afternoon I went into the office, and there found Grover Cleveland, a young man of about 17, engaged in his work as a private secretary. We exchanged a few sentences, and I agreed to come again the next day. For from that hour that we first met, a friendship sprang up between us, the links of which have been woven by angel fingers. During the hours in which he was not engaged with his office work, he was in the habit of writing my poems as I dictated them to him. Mr. Chamberlain, my old friend, already frequently mentioned, was not superintendent then. But in his stead, we had a man who expected that all due deference should be paid to himself. Not that he did not wish Mr. Cleveland to copy my verses, but rather he thought any request should be made through him. At that time, however, I was 35 years of age and employed as a preceptress at the Institute and felt, therefore, that I was entitled to the privilege of making my own request. Whenever and of whomever I wished, provided that I was not breaking any of the rules or customs of the school. But as much as I felt this, I hardly dared assert my rights in the matter. And so I said nothing one afternoon when the superintendent came in and forbade me to call on my young amanuensis without consulting him. A footnote here. Amanuensis is a person employed to write or type what another dictates or to copy what has been written by another. So now we've learned a new word. Now let's get back to the book. After he had gone, Grove, as we then called him, turned to me and said, how long are you going to let that man trample on your feelings in this matter? What should I do, I asked him. He laughed and replied, You are certainly within your own rights. So if you have a poem to be copied tomorrow, come down here and exactly the same scene will occur as occurred today. Then you will have an opportunity to give him as good as he sins. And if you have never learned the lesson of self-reliance, you certainly cannot learn it earlier. The next day I returned to have some copying done. My little speech was all ready, and when the superintendent again objected, I asserted my rights, with the result that he hastily retreated, leaving the field in our possession. And so it remained from that time. Mr. Cleveland and I were constantly associated in our work for more than a year, and then he left the institution and our past diverged. But my interest in him has never waned and I have watched his career with unusual pleasure. Not that I was in the least surprised, for all of us expected noble things from him, but because of my own personal regard for his many excellent traits of character, 
Many years ago, I called at his home in Lakewood, New Jersey, and we spent a delightful hour reviewing the memories of New York of 50 years ago. In the honor of their daughter, Ruth, I recited the following poem to Mr. and Mrs. Cleveland. Like the lily bells that blossom in the bowers of Eden Fair, all their pretty leaves unfolding to the breeze that murmurs there, like a jewel bright and sparkling from the peerless brow of truth, like the birdling with the autumn, came your winsome babe Ruth. These are feelings deep and tender, there are joys you could not know, till a cherubim in your household bed the hidden fountains flow, now a love its smile reflecting from the peaceful eye of truth, like a radiant star is shining or your gentle babe Ruth. In a fancy dreamed I lingered as the evening time draws nigh and I listened to the carol of her mama's lullaby while her papa, grave and thoughtful, as in years of banished youth, lays his hand with fond caressing on the head of baby Ruth. By a holy consecration that will never be forgot, you have answered him who whispered, Bring your little one to me. You have brought her pure and lovely to the way, the life, the truth, and his seal is on the forehead of your precious baby Ruth. May you train her in knowledge and the wisdom of the Lord. May you teach her to be faithful and obedient to his word. With the lamp whose beam are kindled at the throne of sacred truth, may you guide the coming future of your darling baby Ruth. In March 1903, a man professing to be a friend of mine wrote to Mr. Cleveland to the effect that it would be a pleasure to hand me a birthday letter if he would be kind enough to write it. This was done, but the professed friend sold the ex-president's note to a newspaper, and the first that I heard of it was when a reporter called to see if the letter was genuine. Another copy was sent to me directly through mail, and I'm glad to quote it from it. As an old friend, says Mr. Cleveland, it is a great pleasure to congratulate you on your coming birthday, which marks so many years of usefulness and duty. I am rejoiced to know that your character and work are amply appreciated by good, kind friends who stand about you in your advancing years to cheer and comfort you. I remember our association 50 years ago, and it gratifies me to know that you, you have brought cheer and comfort to so many in the past, richly deserve now the greatest amount of grateful acknowledgement and all the rich recompense which the love of friends and the approval of God can supply. When plans were being made to celebrate my 85th birthday in March 1905, Mr. Cleveland wrote another beautiful letter, the text of which follows. My dear friend, it is more than 50 years ago that our acquaintance and friendship began. And ever since that time, I have watched your continuous and disinterested labor in uplifting humanity and pointing out to the way to an appreciation of God's goodness and mercy. Though these labors have, I know, brought you abundant rewards in your consciousness of good accomplished, those who have known of your works and sympathized with your noble purposes owe it to themselves that you are appraised of their remembrance of these things. I am therefore exceedingly gratified to learn that your 85th birthday is to be celebrated with a demonstration of this remembrance. As one proud to call you an old friend, I desire to be early in congratulating you on the long life of usefulness and the years yet to be added to you. The peace, 
and comfort born of the love of God. Yours very sincerely, Grover Cleveland. These letters from my friend prize among my most valued treasures and all the great men in public life whom I have had the great fortune to know. I consider him to be one of the greatest, and in my affection and esteem, he holds a place that no other statesman could possibly occupy. That is the end of chapter 13, and we'll begin on 14 next time. It's early songs and hymns. I love you. I'm praying for you, and bye-bye for now.